Hi there, and welcome to the Nerds of Business podcast. My name's Darren Moffat. I'm a director of WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency, and I'm your host. It's great to have you with us for episode six of the branding series. If you're new to this podcast, our vision is to make entrepreneurs happier by solving the key challenges that all businesses must overcome. Today's topic is brand equity, and we start with a few mystery quotes. The first is by one of the most famous entrepreneurs in the world. See if you can guess who said these words. Your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. That's right. It was Jeff Bezos, founder and CEO of Amazon. And he should know because as of 2019, the value of the Amazon brand, its brand equity, was a whopping $315 billion. In fact, in the last year, Amazon's brand equity increased 52% to overtake Apple and become number one in the world. The story of how Jeff Bezos and the Amazon team achieved this is too long and complex to deconstruct here. But another quote by a famous designer gives us a big clue as to how they did it. Products are made in the factory, but brands are created in the mind. That quote is by Walter Landor. Now, you've probably never heard of him, but you know his work. Back in the mid-20th century, he designed the Levi's logo, the famous Coca-Cola script, and the visual identity for British Airways. So he knew a thing or two about branding. Now, this quote is deceptively simple, but it's so profound, I think it might just change the way you think about your own business. Products are made in the factory, but brands are created in the mind. Let's break that down. The first thing to notice is the equivalencies drawing between products and brands. The implicit underlying assumption is that they're both items to be brought and sold. He's saying your brand is a product itself. The second insight contained in the quote is that the notion of brand is entirely abstract. It's not a physical entity. So in the case of Amazon's brand equity, that's $315 billion of goodwill it has on its balance sheet that lives entirely in the minds of other people. That's perhaps the biggest Jedi mind trick of all time. And to extend the very nerdy Star Wars metaphor, there are some who think Jeff Bezos is the Sith Lord of modern-day commerce. Although the value he's created for shareholders is immense, Amazon has undeniably destroyed thousands of smaller businesses in its long march to the top. As Scott Galloway argues in his brilliant book, The Four, Amazon has become so successful because they've mastered the art of selling their brand above all else. The Amazon brand story is itself their most important product. If you're building a business, like most other entrepreneurs, you're probably laser focused on your customers and the products you sell them. But what if that's the wrong approach? If your dream is to one day sell the business, cash out and retire then maybe like Amazon, the value of your brand should be at the heart of everything you do. So how can you grow brand equity to maximize the value of your business and create a better financial future for your shareholders, yourself, and your family?
I love data. I, I love kind of looking through the data. You need to have systems, you need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is unstoppable. We kind of hit a point where we were like, we need another leader. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you. <laughs> this is Nerds of Business. So the problem we're trying to solve and the title of today's episode is how to use brand equity to fatten profits and extract a higher sale price for your business. We've got some great guests with some amazing true stories and real life case studies. Up soon, you'll hear our feature story about the billion dollar tech startup Airwallex. Their head of global growth, Neil Luo, reveals their plans for using brand equity to scale even further. It's an interview that all businesses, no matter how large or small, can learn from. But first, here's just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying Nerds of Business, to please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. It means you'll automatically receive each new episode every fortnight, and it makes it easier for us to stay in touch. When it comes to branding, some concepts such as brand awareness, which we covered in the last episode, and brand loyalty, for instance, are generally well understood. But brand equity, I think, is a bit more of a mystery for many business owners. So we need to start with a technical explanation of what it really is. So brand equity is essentially the value that your brand has above it being a product or service. Mm -hmm. So if you think about Um, flying, that has a certain value for you, right? So Mm -hmm. to travel somewhere by airplane, that's got a different value to to travel somewhere versus car or what have you, Mm -hmm. right? So flying has a certain value. Mm -hmm. But then the next level above that is really the brand equity. So who are you going to choose to go with? So you're going to choose to go with Qantas, are you going to choose to go with Jetstar, are you going to choose to go with Rex or whoever it happens to be? And so... That's really the value, but the value, uh, the uh, sorry, the the additional value that you get from a brand having equity. Um, so if you take um, sort of if you break down equity, what it's made up of is brand awareness. Yep. <laughs> so how many people are aware of your brand? Okay. Um, it's. Uh, brand loyalty or yes. the levels of brand loyalty so okay. whether they're um, whether it is their main brand or whether it's their preferred preferred brand or one of a number of it mm-hmm. within a repertoire or um, whether they've just purchased it once whether you've got a database of you know 200,000 customers those sorts of things I think you think about within that sort of brand loyalty aspect mm-hmm. yep. um, your Brand associations. So what are all of those associations with your brand? Is it, say, for a brand like Qantas, they've got global awareness. So that's pretty good in terms of brand equity. Um, They've also got, uh, in terms of brand loyalty, they have a massive frequent flyer campaign. They've got a lot of of people who have flown frequently with them over the almost 100 years that they've been existing for. So they have really great brand loyalty, a good, really great brand loyalty measure. Um... In terms of perceptions and associate, sorry, brand associations, this is where you know you associate Qantas with being safe, the reliable, the Australian spirit. Um, but you also associate it with perhaps more with business flying. So if I need to get fly somewhere on business, or I need to fly somewhere and know that I'm going to get there on time. It's more of a premium brand too. And yeah. that's the fourth element, which is the perceived quality. Ah, so yeah, yeah, so they're the four elements that make up brand equity. 
That's Rachel Bevins from The Healthy Brand Company. She's one of our two branding experts for this series, and she's consulted to some of the biggest brands in the world. I asked Rachel, why is brand equity so important, and what opportunities does it create for businesses? Yeah, well, so your equity is what's going to get people to buy you (laughs) in the first place. So you mean a potential takeover target? No, no, potential customer. Potential customer, yeah. yeah. But we'll come to that in a moment, the the P&L side of things. Um, But, yeah, so brand equity will help people choose you over your competitors. Mm -hmm. Um, It will help people pay a certain price for you as well. Yep. So they'll um, they'll be willing to pay that premium. Premium. Which you yep. are because you know that you're getting X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really people buying it and for the uh, for the price mm-hmm. and as often as you want it as well. So for the occasions that you want them to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the I guess that's the customer side of brand equity. What it does that all does then is also reduce risk for the business. So oh, the yeah. greater um, brand equity you have, the more customers that you have, and so forth, and more the the less that you kind of have to use scrounging for cash flow mm-hmm. I mean if you talk at that I mean I've talked about the brand Qantas but if you talk about that for a small very small business where you're a service business and you know like me you're providing brand consulting to mm-hmm. other businesses yep. it's really important that I get a level of awareness out there mm-hmm. <laughs> so people yep. know about me they yep. know what I stand for and what I deliver mm-hmm. um, and for me, it's probably less about brand loyalty because you only do a rebrand like your brand every five years or so forth. So it's less yep. about that, but it's like staying top of mind. So when it's time for that to, um, to look at it again, then I'm kind of in their minds. From the other, from the flip side, which is the commercial side, is that it um, you can then translate that into brand value, which sits then on the um, on the PL. So yep. essentially, that becomes then goodwill. For that's nerdy. P and L profit. Oh, and loss. profit and loss. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so that then becomes your um yeah. So that's your goodwill. So that's what people will pay for your business above mm. and beyond their various assets. So this goes to the the value of the business. This is an mm. asset. Um, this is part of the book value of the business. Yes. Um, and this means that uh, if a business is able to grow their brand equity, they're able to command um, a greater multiple. Yep. Uh, when they go to sell. So yep. for those uh, small and medium-sized businesses who uh, should have some exit strategy, yep. um, often it will involve a trade sale. Yep. And so ha- building that brand equity yep. is a way to get top price when they go to exit. Yep. Yeah? Yep. yep. And that's why I think you often see people doing a lot of PR and press uh, – it's it's they're trying to bolster the brand before they flog it off, or they go to an IPO, or, or you know, and so on. So they're trying to build that that brand awareness, which sits beneath the brand equity. The other question that I have for you, Rachel, is around um, extending the brand. What does brand equity allow you to do in terms of extending the brand with other product lines, for instance? Yeah, so I think we touched on that before as well. So once you do have brand equity, uh, we did with then I was trying to think of which examples we used, but it was when we were talking about Nike with their product launches so yep. and building anticipation for them. Yeah. And it's a great example of where, you know, once you've got a certain amount of brand equity, then um, you can uh, launch new products and you know that there's going to be a relatively… It's easy to extend good. the brand if you've already got a lot of brand equity, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, great. As long as you stay true to your brand, you know, again, you've got to go back to the strategy piece and the objectives as well. Mm-hmm. And so as long as it's true to your brand, it's going to do well. Yeah. Um, so you can see that brand equity is super valuable to both your revenue growth, but also the long-term asset value of your business. In my encounters with top entrepreneurs for Nerds of Business, this is something they're all keenly aware of. One of our guests who's already appeared several times on the show is a good example. Finder.com.au is a $250 million internet business that has built up some huge brand equity over more than a decade as a leader in comparison, especially around financial services. I asked their co-founder, Fred Shabesta, how they did this. I think that it starts with some very simple tenets and principles. And I think we had our values of our business aligned, so we knew kind of who we were. Mm-hmm. And I'd say the first thing is we're very quick to know what we say no to. Oh. So we say no to negative language. Yeah. There's enough negativity in the world. Do not need another one? How can you frame something in a positive way and inclusive way to bring people on the journey? That's that's the first thing. And I think people go, hey, that's just kind of cool. You know, they, these guys, they don't hate on people, you know. The second thing is uh, we don't we don't really engage. Uh, we don't, we're not a political company. Yep. So we don't take sides. We're, we're very, we're for the customer. Right? And that's all customers. And that's hard. Right, so there's a lot of hard decisions that go in sitting in the middle. It's actually quite easy to sit on one side. You got to you know who you're fighting. But when you're in the middle, people complain. They go, hey, you're in the middle. Come and join us. Well, that goes to your brand positioning because, I mean, if, you're, if you've chosen to be kind of in the middle, um, as you say, that is the hardest place to occupy because a lot of competitors will tend to cluster around the middle. The new entrant, younger, less to lose, can take a fringe position and pick off a lot of your... Um, early adopter customers and so on. So you're being in the middle is hard. Um, But you've obviously got intense brand loyalty. You know, where does that come from? I think that in Finder, we feel a deep purpose in empowering people with the decisions they make and you realize the impact in some small way that has on people's lives. And when you start from that premise, when you start from that place, when we write to customers, when you think about the situation they're in, there's something you can't replace in those words. It's just, it, it's, it, it's there. It's written in every word. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're trying to get better at this every day. Yep. You know, we're, we're obviously, it's hard to do in a mass scale, but that's the central premise and tenant and the North Star to empower people. And and I think hopefully that vision I think clarifies that. You yeah. know, it, it sort of, you know, brings about a a a central theme that people can get behind. And they and your customers and I by the way I, I went through one of your funnels and I checked it out. Um I have done in the past, but not for some years. So I thought as part of research, I'd, I'd check it out. Your customers uh, are treated by your staff in the same way. So mm. it's not—it's one thing to say all this stuff, 
but in terms of the brand values, it seems to me that you've very successfully made that cascade down across the organisation so that, to go back to a little running theme, it does become kinetic. It's not just in the text and the language and the ringtones or whatever. It's actually in the lived experience of how people interact with your business. That's a really good point and and, and, and I'm glad that's happening. Um, (laughs) And we can always do better, you know, like we're in constant beta. and people are comfortable with that in Finder. And I think there's another um, courageous thing that we do that I think some other companies find, find challenging. So the third value of Finder is go live. And go live means we have a bias to action, a bias to putting things live on the internet. As long as yep. the internet doesn't exist at Finder. People know that. They, that's just something people say. We know if we're going to go do something, we're going to do this. Yeah, let's go live. Yeah, you know that's a, that's that's a that's a rally call here, right? But there's a very very big vulnerability in that. That when you go to launch something, and you put your workings out in public, mm. not internally, like sharing it internally is a great idea. You know, people do that. Mm. But when you get your workings and you put it out to the public, and it's kind of half there and it's a bit bumpy and those kind of things at Fonda we celebrate that go live and then we have the courage and cultural acceptance of may it may fail mm-hmm. or we're going to get some pretty intense feedback yep and that's great we love that and I think that's about you know again being straight up and going live that's a, there's, a, there's a beauty in that well it, it takes courage you know it's 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 harder to do that but I would argue that you know, you've built because you built up such goodwill with your customers um, that it is a living brand. Um, it's real. It's authentic. That allows you to make some mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, in a minute, we'll hear from another top entrepreneur who shares his experience too. But first, let's go back to our branding expert Rachel Bevins for a technical summary of the classic strategies that even small businesses can use to grow their brand equity. So how does a business build brand equity over time? Yeah, by looking at those measures. So we've talked about brand awareness already. (laughs) So you want to have as many people within your target audience Mm -hmm. aware of your brand as possible. Mm -hmm. You want to be um, essentially getting them to purchase the brand, engage with the brand, to purchase the brand. So that's that loyalty thing coming coming back again and again. Yep, coming Mm -hmm. back again and again. So you can go through those various levels of... um, Trial, initial trial to repeat purchase to mm-hmm. um, purchasing more often and more uh, frequently to purchasing you know a, uh, a business class flight versus a pre, you know an economy yeah, flight so, so upsell so and cross sell and all sell, this yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. merchandise whatever you know uh-huh. um, wine club etc <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um, and then going into the no, I would never choose any other brand other than Qantas to go anywhere kind sure. of thing so <laughs> that's become that's moving into brand advocacy then yeah exactly exactly so um, you you kind of get into there. Um, uh, then you those, want to boost the associations, associations. Yep. yeah, and mm-hmm. that's where we've talked a lot about associations with our brand positioning in the first place. But it's yep. like, what are the jobs to be done? What are the needs that we are meeting? You know, business flying in particular, and flying when I have to get there, mm-hmm. um, or fl- and flying when I really want to be home before I'm home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yep. you know, they're the they're the associations I have, but also those other brand uh, key attributes of the brand. Mm-hmm. So um, the safety, reliability. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and Australian spirit are the ones I'd sort of associate. So they're really where you're building the brand so, from in the first place. And, and there was a fourth element. Perceived, perceived quality. Perceived quality, so right. Again. But that's, that's obviously a, a key plank um, yep. in product development and so on. Yep. So if a business, even a small to medium-sized business or a startup or an entrepreneur, if they want to build their brand equity, yep. then they've really got to focus – Within that or beneath that, they've got to focus on growing most of those four elements. Uh, and so that's, you know, the brand awareness, yep. that's the brand loyalty, yep. that's the brand associations, yep. and then the actual quality. Perceived quality. Perceived, yep. perceived quality, which yep. is um, different from actual, actual quality. quality. But it does play a big part. So yep. consider, it, again, that's, um, yeah, so making sure that you actually continually deliver Yep. Upon what you what you have say said, you're going to do, what you say you're going to yeah, do. So it goes yeah. back to that that trust, that that brand promise. Andre Eichmeyer is the co-founder of online wine retailer Vino Mofo. You might recall Andre from our feature story all the way back in episode one on how to create a 100 million dollar brand. Listen to what Andre has to say here about the role messaging played in growing their brand equity. So you guys built some really amazing brand equity at uh, Vino Mofo. So, uh, you know, tell us, like, how did you do that? Or, you know, what were the key pillars that allowed you to grow that brand equity and give you the freedom to, to you know, grow the business the way you wanted to? I'd probably say purity and consistency. Uh-huh. Like, I think the amount of times we had to go – had to focus on what we weren't going to be and who we weren't going to be for mm-hmm. and had to let go of the incremental sales and the incremental customer growth in order to stay relevant enough for the people that we wanted. Yeah. And we, we had lessons when we tried to grow wider and we became less important for the people who were at core. Oh, that's interesting. So you that. tried to extend the brand out. You tried to yeah. drop in other lines and extend the brand and you found that uh, the what the brand loyalty or the engagement dropped off because of that. Yep, people left us. And in fact, it was funny when we um, we had a chapter where um, early on where we sold a large part of the business and partnered with Catch of the Day. Mm-hmm. And um and you know in order to survive the competitive tactics of Coles and Woolies, so it wasn't a dumb business decision. But then we had all these other you know we had all these customers suddenly um, or potential customers who just wanted cheaper wine. Yep. And um and then we went, well, it's wrong not to serve them. And we, we, we you know, we talked ourselves around, oh, maybe we can change, you know, good wine only because we had this real thing, good wine only from, yep. from the beginning. And then we started going, well, maybe just the best wine that someone can afford and, and that's still valuable and that's still a valuable service and that's not snobby. And we talked ourselves around with that. And then we just, and we just had to, ended up with the original people going, oh, I see what's happened. Yeah, good luck. No, not for me anymore. You've sold out. And in fact, when we wow. brought it back from Catch of the Day, yeah. and we went out, we had literally we, we were on a we were on like a doing about ten million in revenue at that stage. Mm-hmm. Month to month, we literally doubled our monthly revenue. And all these people going, "Yeah, I'll come." Oh, thank God, you brought it back. Yeah, I thought um, we thought you'd sold out a bit, but also we thought you didn't need us anymore. Oh, you know, we thought, and that was really interesting because we had gone out going, "Hey, we're just in the garage and we want to." Do this, and people were like, "Yeah, I want to support you guys. That's cool. Good on you." Yeah. And they were like, "Oh, you've got a big company. It's part of you know, you don't need us anymore. Cool. I'll go somewhere else." They look for someone small, and someone starting out. And that was really humbling and really a big lesson. So, coming back from that, it was that all the times that we went, 
no, we won't be for them. And we've got to let go of that. We've got to stay pure. I use the word pure. Um, and that was an iteration. That was, uh, that was really, that was how we built the brand. And consistency in your messaging. And we didn't always do that right. But mm. when we did do it right, that's what kept us yep. building a brand that has value and equity. If you think about, I think what it is, you, you're lucky if you can have people recall or feel one thing about you as a brand. Yep. So brands that do that well or have done that well through time, like Volvo, you know, they didn't go, hey, we're fast and we're reliable and we're sexy and we're safe. They just went, no, we're safe. Yep. So people went, oh, if I want a safe car, I'll go there. I think that's the trick. You've got to just lock into one thing and be consistent with that one thing. Yep. Yeah, there's more power in that sort of singularity of, of, of meaning. Um, and and I actually said, what do you want people to feel about you? You know, that's... Well, I think that's a great question. And I mean, that's that, you know, my little pet theory on this is that that's a question that most business owners and startups don't think about enough. You know, it it becomes usually more focused on the product, on the use case, the market opportunity or what. But this idea or or notion of how do people feel about it or what do you want them to feel about the brand? I think it's super important. And, And obviously, I'm not the only one. You know, there's a whole you know, sort of marketing and advertising industry built on that premise, but in the age of data, it's not as prominent uh, as, it, as it once was. Sorry, I will, I will just say, add to that. Like, so the consistency comes with when you've identified that, it has to be through everything. Yeah. Through your language, through the user experience, through the product offering, through the way you sell, through the decisions you make, through the values you build your culture around. It has yeah. to be consistent so that nothing goes out. It's no good. You build your brand around this and then someone gets a generic customer service reply or somebody goes, oh, I'm sorry, we can't do that because that's against policy. It has to be overarchingly the driver of every decision and every part of the experience that someone's going to have with And we also asked Andre what his superpower as an entrepreneur is. I think his answer really explains a lot about the success he's enjoyed with Vino Mofo and his other ventures too, such as Year of the Planet. So, Andre, we now need to know what your nerd superpower is. Nerd superpower. So, as a business person, as an entrepreneur, um, maybe you've had time to reflect over the years, what is that one attribute of yours that's really consistently given you a bit of an edge and you know, helped you, you know, achieve what you've achieved? Truth. Wow. Can't bear not facing or living or speaking yep. the truth. Mm-hmm. So that means I'm always seeking it yep. in something. I think that's been – I think that's the superpower. Fantastic. It doesn't always work out well because a lot of time, you know, if not balanced with empathy – it's funny, mm. truth is largely intention rather than impact. I guess in you focused on this, there's truth behind this, or I'm seeking the truth in something, mm. whereas impact is largely around empathy and, and, and you know, uh, so truth can hurt, as we know. Um, but I think it's, I think we're in a day and age where we've just got to face the truth, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And everything. And as a brand, you've got to face the truth. What are we really? Never mind what we're saying. What are we really? Mm. What are the decisions we're making saying about us? And now we come to our feature story. In just five short years, Air Wallachs has achieved what is known in the tech world as unicorn status. 
They've recently been valued at over $1 billion. Regular listeners will remember their head of global growth, Neil Luo, from the last episode. Today, Neil explains the radical value proposition that Airwallex offers to SMEs who want to trade in foreign markets. It's rapidly disrupting the world of foreign exchange and international payments and has already seen them establish some serious brand equity. In the interview you're about to hear, Neil shares how they intend to leverage that brand equity for even faster and wider growth. For those listeners learning about Airwallex for the first time today, what does the business do? You know, what's the mission and who do you help? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So look, where, where we started, we've actually got a really good origin story. Where we started was uh, our founder uh, had ran a coffee shop around five years ago. Uh, and he was trying to import coffee uh, cups from China, uh, finding it really painful to pay the Chinese suppliers. He had to go to Western Union. Uh, he got charged a, a massive margin just to pay these suppliers. And he said, look, there must be an easier way. And so from that was actually born Airwallets. And our mission is really to build global financial infrastructure that enables businesses to go borderless a lot more easily. And over the years, that's continually evolved. But I think recently we've launched a, a business account that's basically helping SMEs, one, open accounts both domestically and internationally really easily, uh, two, send money um, to suppliers, um, to customers uh, a lot more easily, mm-hmm. um, and three, we've just recently released a card product that allows uh, our customers to uh, create a card for themselves or their employees um, that has no FX no transactions, international transaction fees. So if they're buying things overseas, if they're traveling overseas, uh, we can really save them money and time. Great. So I'm a small business. I either import goods from overseas uh, or I'm exporting stuff. The payoff to my business is is less fees and an easier transactional process. Is that right? Yeah. So I think there's kind of, you know, probably two benefits. One is if you're trying to sell overseas, if you need to create bank accounts uh, overseas, mm. we save you a lot of time. So we actually had a customer who spent nine months trying to open a bank account in the US, mm-hmm. um, heard about Airwallets, and we said, look, we can do that for you in essentially a minute. And he was he, he didn't believe that at all, right? So he kind of signed up to our product, clicked a button, and got a bank account overseas. And he was like amazed at how much time could save there. And then the second piece is very much around uh, FX savings. So we're around 90% cheaper than, than the banks. So if you're doing a significant sum, you know, paying supplies, we can actually unlock quite a lot of cash flow for small businesses. Um, and we know how important that is, especially in this kind of current environment. On the topic of brand equity for Airwallex, um, can you maybe give us some insight into your future growth plans? Like what are the, some of the ways that you guys intend to leverage the brand equity that you've built uh, for the future? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Look, um, we, we probably need to, we probably are going to practice what we preach, right? So we, we tell businesses go global from the outset uh, and we're doing that exactly that. So, you know, we have a very global ambition. You know, we have a strong presence in China, um, strong presence in Australia. We're very keen to grow our business in the UK and EU uh, and the US as well. And, and as we speak, we're actually also applying for licenses in Southeast Asia um, and the Middle East. Um, and in India, for example, as well. So we have this kind of real global mindset um, that, you know, Australia is not super big and to grow substantially, we actually have to um, grow internationally. Um, And then the second thing is, you know, we're really focused on kind of 
building that brand equity um, faster, right? And, and digital is one way to do it. Uh, partnerships is another way to do it. But we know that at the, 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 the right way to do it is actually to go brand advertising at some stage, like go above the line. But in order to do that, you need to make sure that your product is at a state where customers are very happy with it. You know, the onboarding experience is, is seamless. The product itself is seamless and you get a really uh, good return on your brand investment. Um, so we're really focused on kind of you know, getting the right metrics in place, really focusing on that NPS, that customer NPS, both from a onboarding and a, and a kind of repeat user That's perspective. That's nerdy. I've got to hit you up with another nerdy. <laughs> That's it. NPS. Uh, uh, again, I think I know what that is, but you might just want to unpack that for our listeners. Sure. So NPS stands for Net Promoter Score. Yep. So essentially it measures the percentage of your customers that will say that they're very, very likely to promote your product um, minus the, the percentage that say they're not really, not very happy um, yep. with your product. So usually a positive NPS is, is good um, in kind of, you know, general terms, but we're, we're looking for kind of something over 50, yep. which is very aggressive. Okay. Um, but we're really keen to get that over 50. So we're very comfortable that our product is in the right place. Um, and then we'll, we will most likely then go with a very aggressive above the line campaign um, in our markets. Great. So I think what's really important there for listeners to understand is that the way you are executing or rolling out your marketing is highly strategic, um, as you would expect it to be. You know, you, you guys are already um, got a, a billion dollar valuation. You've got some very serious investors um, on the share register, but you're deliberately holding the branding back until all the foundations are right, yeah? And and so has that been uh, – is, is that a new strategy? I mean, the temptation must have been to go to, to above-the-line stuff early, a bit earlier. Um, how, how did you guys arrive at that? Take us through that discussion. Yeah, so I think, I think the, the, the challenge with brand marketing is that you spend it and then it's gone, yep. right? And so if you have a leaky funnel, um, essentially the money just leaks out. Uh, and even though we're well, well funded, you know, the, the way we manage our resources is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we did a bunch of tests as well. So, you know, this isn't with our data. We did a bunch of tests, but we realized that, hey, look, um, the product still needs a bit of improvement to make sure that we are comfortable enough in, in pushing a lot of brand into it. And so we made a deliberate decision to invest in channels that are more evergreen where, you know, one cent now will still be there in a year's time. So yeah. content big focus for us. Partnerships, big focus for us because these things you get maintained over time, right? Whereas brand, um, it's very important. You know, a lot of people get wedded on brand as, as the growth engine uh, initially, but it can be very dangerous as well. One, because, um, you know, if competitors bid up, it gets very expensive very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, if your product is not optimized, uh, it can be very expensive very fast as yeah. well. Um, we were lucky enough, I think, in that, you know, the top end of B2B, kind of the enterprises and the mid-markets, a lot of that's relationship-driven. So we probably don't need a lot of brand. We can actually have the, the right product and the right conversations and get traction. Mm-hmm. Um, our next phase is getting the content and the partnerships to kind of grow that second phase. And then our final phase is going to be that above the line. But we're very conscious that we need to get plug all the holes, so to speak, before we push aggressively um, in, in that space. So the problem we set out to solve in this episode was how to use brand equity to fatten profits and extract a higher sale price for your business. Our branding expert, Rachel, from the Healthy Brand Company, explained what brand equity is and why it's so important. 
And we've also heard some fascinating real-life true stories from our entrepreneur guests, Andre Eichmeyer at Vino Mofo, Fred Shabester at Finder, and Neil Luo from Airwallocks. I hope their wisdom and insights have given you ideas to crack the code to growth in your own venture. For me, however, there are three important takeaways from this episode. Firstly, you need an integrated approach. If you're serious about growing your brand equity, everything from awareness, loyalty, associations, engagement, and alignment all need to come together in a coordinated way. Secondly, to achieve that, you'll need strategy, planning, and measurement, not to mention good execution. Brand equity is a valuable asset. It's no accident when it happens, and it doesn't grow overnight. Finally, consistency and timing are important. We heard from Andre that purity of messaging was essential to the success of Vino Mofo. And Neil from Airwallocks had some brilliant insights into getting the foundations of your business right before you go and invest heavily in brand marketing. As we heard at the top of the episode, Amazon has become the biggest company in the world because of its relentless focus on selling their brand above all else. Although very few of us indeed will ever get anywhere near that scale, too often small businesses get lost in the day-to-day grind of operations and forget the bigger picture. If you want to enjoy higher margins or sell your business for top dollar in future, the success of Amazon teaches us that a consistent focus on brand equity might just be the best investment of all. We're coming to the end, but before we go, it's time for our regular segment, Nerd Under Pressure, where a guest has to share one killer hack or tip they recommend for you, our listeners. Let's find out who our Nerd Under Pressure is today. I'm now going to bring you to a little segment that we have, um, and this is called Nerd Under Pressure. Mm. It's spooky. Under pressure. Um, nerd under pressure. Uh, so, Fred Shabesta, this is where we, we give you five seconds thinking time. Um, what's one killer hack you could give to other entrepreneurs or business owners for growing brand equity? Your time starts now. So I think the first thing is to perfect the one sentence that communicates your business. And the reason why is because you're going to tell that story for a long time. Do you ever get sick of telling that story? No, I'm, I love it. I love yeah. it. It's another chance for me to keep testing myself. And did I get that, get that get that across right? Did that come up through? You know, I think, you know, the way in which I, I've tried to explain now, Finder, is, you know, it's a place where you go and to find a better deal. Yep. There it is. One sentence. That took a lot of work. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> But what's your, what's your what you know for a business owner? I think once you can communicate that and boil down the service that or the product that you're offering in the simplest way that your six year old daughter can explain it back to you. Yeah, that's what to, you know. When when I said Portia, what does this ad say? What is what does find a, what what is it? It does. She said, "Oh, that's where you go to do the credit cards and get a better deal." And I was like, "Okay, we've hit the level." So thanks for listening to the sixth episode of Nerds of Business. 
If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us climb up the ranks and become more visible to other people just like you. Remember, we want to help as many entrepreneurs and businesses as possible. If you've got a question or some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can engage with us at webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. That's webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. So feel free to reach out and say hello. I want to thank all of our guests and the team at WebBuzz for helping me put this show together. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode, which is on brand loyalty. Until then, I'm your host, Darren Moffat, and I look forward to nerding out with you next time. Bye for now.